0: on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: Opposition, antagonism, the maligning, the lies of other people will serve, if you're not careful, to get you off point, to get you outside of the will of God because you'll end up not doing what God wants you to do to address all the stuff that isn't worth your time. Let God defend you. God is the best defense. I remember one time hearing an interview that Billy Graham gave when he was asked, you know, how do you respond to your critics? He says, I don't. I let God defend
0: you. This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching series through the book of Nehemiah, he'll be challenging us to hand over all our battles to the Lord so he can fight them for us. The Bible says, not by might nor by power, but by spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We have an enemy of our souls, the devil, who is more powerful than us but isn't even close to as powerful as the God who lives within us. When you're busy about doing the work of God, the enemy will always try to get you to focus on things that will draw you out of the will of God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah chapter 6 for part 2 of today's message titled Patient Perseverance.
1: who love each other get together and they work out their differences that's what people who who love each other do so when there's conflict from within there's a greater opportunity to resolve it but when there's conflict from without outside of your family outside of your community it's difficult if not impossible to change anything why because none of us can change another person's behavior. So if someone from the outside is antagonizing you, they're opposed to you, they're maligning you, they're lying about you, you can't just kind of get together and say, well, why don't we work on our, because what happens is they're going to be the way they want to be, and you can't change them. You can only be responsible for yourself and how you react and respond to them. Please don't, don't believe that you and I can change anybody. That's the work of God. God can change people's hearts. We can't do that. I always cringe when I, you know, get a young couple who wants to be married and, you know, and and we ask, we ask her, we ask him the same question, you know, now, can you live with this guy exactly as he is if he never changes? And can you live with her exactly as she is if she never changes? And, you know, at first I go, oh, sure, of course. But on on the side, you know, sometimes I hear, I know they'll change eventually after we're married. No, they won't. Now, God can do that, sure, but don't think that you can change them because none of us can be responsible for changing anybody else. What do you do when you cannot change anybody except you? What do you do? Because this is the issue here, and if you haven't lived long enough, you're going to experience this at some point. There will be in certain settings, in certain situations, people who will oppose you, people who won't like you, people who will try to intimidate you, people who will try to make you afraid, people who will malign you, people who will lie against you and about you. What do you do? Learn from Nehemiah, because he sets for us a wonderful example here in this sixth chapter of what are we supposed to do in the face of opposition. His example for us is marvelous. So I want us to look at how does he respond to this kind of opposition? What does he do? Here's the first thing for you note-takers. we got to pray. That's the first thing he does. In verse 9, look again at verse 9. <clears throat> he says, They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. That's his prayer to the Lord. Now strengthen my hands. It's the first thing he did was to pray. Now it wasn't the only thing he did, but it's the first line of defense. We need to go to God first before we do anything else. John Bunyan, I love what he said about that. He said this once, he said, quote, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And that's a great point of priority. I'll say it again. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. So that has to be priority. Now, please note that Nehemiah's prayer there in verse 9, four words. That's it. That's it. Four words. Now strengthen my hands. Four words. Please note, it is not the length of your prayer. It is the strength of God's reply. Not the length of your prayer, but the strength of God's reply. That's actually, you could tweet that. That sounds pretty good. I like that. <laughs> Not the length of your prayer. It's the strength of, anyway. So length and strength. But here's the deal. Sometimes we think, i got to have this great lofty prayer. i got to pour out everything. Hey, four words, and that was sufficient. Sometimes in our desperation, just short and succinct, is perfect. It gets to the heart of God. God can translate the rest of what we can't communicate. Nehemiah just said simply, now strengthen my hands. Because he knows I'm growing weary from all of this. So Lord, strengthen me. He wasn't the only one who who responded in this way. David in the scriptures. There are many times when David was opposed and enemies were against him and people were maligning him, trying to kill him. And what did he often do? He prayed. Many times throughout the Psalms, I'll read you just a couple of verses. Psalm 86, verses 14 and 16. David said, The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant. That's what he prays. He's like, Lord, I'm growing weary from all of these people who are against me. Lord, just strengthen me. You see, when Nehemiah prayed what he did, note, he didn't pray, God, encourage me. He didn't pray, God, give me wisdom how to handle the situation. He didn't pray, God, get my enemies. All right? There might be a place in time for some of that. I mean, even David poured his heart out to God and said that on a few occasions. It's fine to pray for wisdom, for encouragement. But what he prays basically for is perseverance. I want to be able to persevere. I want to be able to do what you've called me to do. Strengthen my hands to finish the work that you've called me to do. So he prays. David prays. Jesus prayed. When sinful men were opposed to him, there he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, pouring out his heart to the Father, perspiring even even droplets of blood in his agony of soul. He prays, Father, there's any other way to accomplish this? Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. On the cross, when those who are opposed to him nailed him to a tree, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It has to be our first line of defense because prayer reminds us that God is sovereign even over those who are attacking us and that God will help us if we pray and seek him to see his wonderful work in our lives because we seek him first in this matter. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 to 12. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you. And say all manner of evil against you, for my name's sake, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the Lord even says, listen, there's a special place in heaven, and you will be rewarded richly, but you're going to have to put up in this lifetime with a little bit of insult, a little bit of persecution, it's okay, God's got your back, pray and seek his face. Here's the second thing that Nehemiah does, kind of a rhyming theme today stay pray and then stay stay put look at verses two three and four let me point this out to you look at verse two Sandbalad and Geshem sent me this message come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono but they were scheming to harm me so I sent messengers to them with this reply I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. What did Nehemiah decide? I'm going to stay put. I'm not going to give in to this opposition, this taunting, the trash-talking. I'm going to stay put. I'm not going to go down and meet him at the plane of Oh No. Friends, listen to me. If there's a plane called Oh No, in the spirit of Johnny Cochran, listen to me. If the place is called, oh no, you must not go. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Some of you don't have any idea who Johnny Cochran is, but anyhow. <laughs> if it says, oh no, you must not go. So Nehemiah is wise on this. He realizes this is going to, this is going of get me off point. Please understand this. Opposition, antagonism, the maligning, the lies of other people will serve, if you're not careful, to get you off point. To get you outside of the will of God. Because you'll end up, Not doing what God wants you to do to address all the stuff that isn't worth your time. Let God defend you. God is the best defense. I remember one time hearing an interview that Billy Graham gave when he was asked, you know, how do you respond to your critics? He says, I don't. I let God defend me. We waste too much time trying to address the people who don't like us or malign us or lie about us or talk about us behind our back, gossip about us, all this kind of stuff. It's gonna happen. It's part of life. Don't get off point. You stay true to what God wants you to do, and you stay. Don't leave. You stay. He says, four times they kept coming after me. Four times I kept giving them this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop? Well, I leave it and go down to you. Now, when that doesn't work, they try another tack. It tells us, look further in the story, verse 10. Nehemiah says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, now apparently Shemaiah is a prophet here. So perhaps Nehemiah is going here to get some consolation or some advice. And he said, Shemaiah said to Nehemiah, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, why should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. And then he adds, I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Isn't this tragic? He goes to a prophet thinking he'll get some counsel and wisdom there. But all the while, Sanballat and Tobiah have hired this guy to say lies to Nehemiah. So Nehemiah doesn't even know who to trust. If you've ever been in a situation where you just feel like there's a lot of people who are opposed to you, you're kind of like, who can I trust here? And Nehemiah goes to this prophet whose name is Shemaiah, thinking, I'll get some truth from this guy. Well, turns out, Shemaiah, he's telling the truth, Shemaiah not. Turns out Shemaiah not, not telling the truth. He's a prophet who's lying because he'd been hired by Zamban and Tobiah to give false advice to Nehemiah in order to discredit him. And what does Nehemiah say here? I love verse 11. Should a man like me run away? Don't. Run away. Stay. Now, let me just hasten to add this. There might be some situations where it is time to retreat. There might be some situations where you do need to leave, particularly if your life is in danger, if there's the potential for violence and it's not safe. In Acts chapter 9, right after Saul, who became later known as Paul, had this dramatic conversion experience on the road to Damascus. The Bible says that he stayed in Damascus after he got converted, and while he was there, Jews, who didn't like that he had gotten converted, conspired to kill him. Acts nine twenty three and 24 tells us that some of the Jews would stand at the city gate of Damascus looking for Paul to come and go so that they could kill him. Kill him! And it tells us in Acts nine twenty five that some followers of Paul's lowered him in a basket. They put him in a big basket and a rope attached to it, and they lowered him over the side of the wall of Damascus so he didn't have to go through the gate where he would be found and killed. Why? Because they wanted to save his life. And Paul was smart enough to realize, i got to find another exit strategy here, because if I go through the gate, they're going to kill me. There was a time to leave. There, There was a time to retreat. So I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying here, that, well, if you're in some dangerous situation, just tough it out. Just stay there. So I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about is the general opposition and general conflict and general disagreements that a lot of people get into from time to time. And what I am challenging us all to do is to stay put. Don't bail. Don't bail on your marriage. Don't bail on your kids. Don't bail on your friends. Stay put. You know why a lot of people like to retreat? Because retreating is easier than resolving. Because nobody wants to deal with the mess. Nobody wants to deal with the conflict. Nobody wants to deal with the strife. So a lot of times people take the easier way and they just leave. They just retreat. Because retreating is sometimes easier than resolving. But retreating never solved anything. In fact, sometimes it just compounds the problem. Notice what happened to the Israelites when they were leaving slavery of Egypt on their way to the Promised Land. In Exodus chapter 14, it captures this story. And it tells us that when the Israelites left, because God had moved the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelite slaves go through a series of ten plagues, Pharaoh was stubborn about it. Eventually, he let them go. The Israelites leave. They get to the Red Sea. They can't go any further. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh changes his mind. What am I thinking? I've just let millions of free slave labor force leave. I've got to go back and get them back. He takes the whole Egyptian army and pursues them. Now the Israelites are trapped. They got the Red Sea in front of them. They have the army of Egypt coming behind them. And they don't know what to do. And they get frustrated. They cry out to God. They cry out to Moses. It's all recorded in Exodus 14. One of the things they say to Moses is, why did you bring us out to this stinking desert only to die? You should have left us alone in Egypt. It's a really sad situation when you think that slavery is a better alternative than anything else. But in their desperation, they felt trapped. Red Sea, Egyptian army. And Moses said to them, listen to this, Exodus fourteen thirteen. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Listen to this. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Just stay there. Watch what God will do. Most of you know the rest of the story. God parted the Red Sea, provided a great way of escape for the Israelites. The Egyptians pursued the army, and then God folded the Red Sea back over the Egyptians, and for sure the Israelites never had to see them again. All they did see was little Egyptian helmets bobbing down the Red Sea. And I submit to you that the only reason they didn't have to deal with the Egyptians again was because they stood there, they waited, and they watched the mighty hand of God. When you run... You rob God the opportunity of displaying His might in your life. When you retreat, because I don't want to deal with this anymore. Again, no reference to issues where you could potentially be harmed. I'm talking about the conflict avoiders. If you retreat, you lose the opportunity to see the mighty hand of God. Stand still and watch what God will do. Pray, stay, stay. A lot of times we think that the only alternative is fight or flight. I either have to fight or I have to run. I submit to you there's a third alternative, and that is patient perseverance. You don't have to fight, and you don't have to flee. Just stay and watch what God will do. Pray, stay. Number three, last one on our list. Again, it's a rhyming theme today, friends. Obey. Obey. Again, this dialogue between Nehemiah and uh, Shemaiah from verses 11 to 13 Shemaiah wanted to get him into the temple and Nehemiah responds and he says um, I will not go he realized that God was not speaking through him but Sanballat and Tobiah had hired this guy in verse 13 Nehemiah says he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me now here's the question Why would it have been a sin for Nehemiah to go into the temple of the Lord? Okay, we get that Shemaiah was a false prophet, but what is so wrong about going into the temple of the Lord? Here's the answer, because in those days, going into the temple of the Lord was reserved exclusively for the priests. Nehemiah was not a priest. Do you remember a king who got in trouble because he acted like a priest and waltzed into the temple of the Lord? 2 Chronicles 26, King Uzziah what happened to King Uzziah? He goes into the temple of the Lord, walking around like he's a big shot priest, offering incense. The Lord breaks him out with leprosy from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet as judgment against King Uzziah because he assumed a role that was not rightfully his. Nehemiah realized, maybe even thinking about King Uzziah in history, I cannot go into the temple of the Lord. I'm not a priest. This guy, Shemaiah was actually tempting me to sin against the Lord. And Nehemiah realizes, I must obey God. Here's the important takeaway from this, friends. You and I are not responsible for other people's behavior, how they treat us or mistreat us. But we are responsible as to how we respond and react to that. That's on us. And if other people might be sinning in the way they are maligning you, lying about you, gossiping about you, opposing you, okay? That's them and the Lord. But what sometimes happens is that in response to what you're feeling from what's going on against you, we become more vulnerable. We start to feel sorry for ourselves, and then we end up doing stupid, sinful things. This is the husband or wife who, because their spouse is not showing them enough attention, or rejecting them, then they make matters worse by running out and having an affair to find that. This is the employee who gets passed over time and time again for promotions, so starts stealing from the company. This is the person who is wrongfully treated, accused, maligned, opposed in some way, and then makes matters worse because he or she is not responsible for his or her own behavior and falls into sin him or herself. This is what we have to be careful about. If people mistreat you, oppose you, malign you, discredit you, try to make you afraid, whatever the case may be, okay, we can't let our guard down and in response to that do sinful things ourselves. Nehemiah says, I'm not going to go into the temple of the Lord. You people might be trying to pose and do all this wrong thing towards me, but I, before God, am going to keep my integrity intact. And I'm not going to lose my character over the way that you're treating me. That's what we have to remember. We are only responsible for our own lives and behavior before God. In Acts 25:16, 24:16, 16, 16, this is a great verse, and it could be a life verse for all of us. Paul said this in Acts 24, 16. I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Isn't that a great verse? He's like, you know, I can't be responsible for what other people do. I can't be responsible for how they treat me or mistreat me. I'm only responsible for my own life, my own integrity, my own character before God. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And so... Pray, stay, obey, all this to say it's point number 23 on our ongoing list. We must persevere through opposition. We must persevere through opposition or conflict. Let me show you how this ends, and then we're going to take communion. Go to chapter 6 again, and look at two verses, verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, In 52 days, that's the the total time it took for them to complete the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, 52 days. And verse 16 says, When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Great ending. Nehemiah persevered. Pray, stay, obey. And God will take care of the rest. Amen.
0: Nehemiah faced a daunting task of leading one of the waves of returning exiles and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The work was hard and slow and filled with setbacks and struggles, including enemies who came up against them. The great thing about Nehemiah was that he wasn't a priest and he wasn't a Levite. In fact, he wasn't in professional ministry in any way. You may not be a pastor, but God can use your experience and willingness all the same. Who knows what amazing things he may have in store for you if you'll open yourself to his leading and step out in faith. You have a great journey awaiting you. Just ask God to open your eyes to His plan. We'd love to pray for you along this journey, too. Are you facing a difficult situation? Call us and share your prayer requests at 703-771-1500. To hear more great messages from Pastor Gary Hamrick, look us up online at cornerstoneconnection.cc or subscribe to our podcast. You can also take Cornerstone Connection with you on our mobile app to listen to whenever and wherever you are. That's it for today. We pray you continue to seek God in your everyday experiences and that you feel His presence in your life today. Be sure to tune in again for another exciting edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know